0: Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst, reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time.
1: Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 16 years of law enforcement analysis experience all with Pinellas County Sheriff's Office in Florida. She graduated from the University of South Florida and holds an FDLE analyst certification. She's here to talk about GeoTime and Florida woman and man stories. Please welcome Annette Shapiro. Annette, how are we doing?
0: I'm doing great, how are you?
1: I am doing very well. It's early in the morning on Monday. And we are certainly enjoying some of the cooler weather here in Florida.
0: It's about time. No humidity this morning waking up. It was fabulous.
1: Yeah. I was walking the the dog over the weekend and someone said, yeah, it's still shorts weather. And I was like, I don't know when it doesn't become shorts weather in Florida. Like, to me, it's always shorts weather in Florida.
0: I think we only have about three days where it's not shorts <laughs> weather. Not trying to rub it in for anybody else that lives in snow. But here in central Florida, we have about three days where we can wear The cute boots and jackets.
1: (laughs) That's true. All right. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession?
0: So I actually wanted to start my career in law enforcement as a forensic artist. Back in the early 90s, I had seen this lady, I can't even remember who her name was, on TV drawing a suspect from a victim's recollection statement. And I was like, that would be so cool. Like, I love to draw, so that would be awesome. And then by the time that I actually was old enough to get a job here at the sheriff's office, that was no longer an option. They went digital. And I, although I am of that generation, I'm not very good with computers when it comes to art stuff. So I went to a new hire orientation class. And this lady came in and her she was the analyst supervisor. Her name was Robin Wilfong. And she started describing what crime analysis was. And she described it as the puzzle people. And she told us that we take the little bits of information that detectives and deputies get on scene and put it together to make the bigger picture. And I was glued to her 30-minute presentation. And it was a light bulb moment for me. And I went home, researched everything I could on crime analysis, and this was the early 2000s, and there was not much available online. Basically, everything was about the FBI's behavioral analysis unit, and it was just the PIO scrubbed version. So it was two years before an opening applied here at the sheriff's office for a crime analyst position. And as soon as it posted, I went to my supervisor with a memo and I said, send it up. I want to go. And 16 years later, here I am.
1: Yeah. So what was your initial job with the Sheriff's Office?
0: I worked in the jail for two years, booking and releasing inmates, taking surety and cash bonds, running criminal histories to make sure there were no additional warrants. It was fun. It was interesting.
1: Yeah, so I can see where learning the computer that way would be helpful when you became an analyst. What else do you think that you learned while doing the intake tasks that helped you become a better analyst?
0: I think on a personal level it helped me realize just how much addiction affects our society. And I say that because I didn't realize obviously I'm 19 years old. I'm I'm a pretty green human. I'm I'm still very young. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much Cocaine and other narcotics were in our county. It seemed everybody that was coming in had a cocaine charge or a paraphernalia charge, a marijuana charge. And over the two years, I started seeing the same people again and again. And you could see how that addiction takes hold and the downward spiral that happens with their life. And I think seeing that early in my career helped me be able to focus on more than just, oh, this guy's a scumbag. Like, oh, he did another burglary. He's pawned 400 items in three months. You kind of have that human element still to it, where these are people. These are people that are struggling. Yes, they're committing crimes, but maybe there's a bigger picture to just they broke into somebody's house and stole their jewelry.
1: Yeah. Now, do you think it's still the same today, meaning that when these folks that come in that clearly have an addiction problem... Are they just going straight to jail or is there more of a counseling aspect given to them?
0: In our county, we've really tried to step up the mental health and addiction side of things and trying to find people help if they want help getting them into different halfway houses or rehab centers. But there's still a lot of people that don't want the help they feel that they're either punishing themselves, they deserve this, or they just want that lifestyle. Yeah. I think it really depends on the person.
1: Yeah. I I definitely think that's half the battle, convincing them that they should get better. And Mm -hmm. what do you do? Because you can, the old saying, you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink. And so we can offer all these programs and put them with the right people to get on a better path, but as you mentioned, if they don't want to, what is society to do, right? I mean, you because you, you, they're just going to continue doing the same thing, where they are committing crimes. You don't want to just arrest folks and and have a jail full of addicts and you know non nonviolent offenders. But if they're not willing to change, I'm not sure you know what else can be done. The sheriff's office perspective?
0: Well, I think we have a lot of it starting with our actual county government coming down. Our county donated land, and then the city of Pinellas Park in the center of our county had land donated for two homeless shelters. One is manned by the sheriff's office and it's just outside of our jail compound, so detention deputies work in that facility. And you must be, I mean, if you're intoxicated, they'll let you in, but you cannot bring alcohol or narcotics in with you. And they have an amnesty bin right outside the door. The other location is a homeless camp that has different levels of housing on it. So when you first come in, you're camping in a tent or whatever you have with you on the land. And as you are there and start working, start getting your stuff together, you move into transitional housing. So then you get like a platform house and then there's apartment buildings. So they kind of transition you out of that homeless camp. Mm -hmm. uh, Your hard work. Both of those locations is you have to be sober or you have to not be using while you are on the locations. And some people just don't want that.
1: Yeah. Or really have a trouble, difficulty staying sober, right? And, And clean. So, but, but certainly it's not all homeless folks that are coming through that have the addiction problem, right?
0: Absolutely not. You you have mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, children. Sometimes it's generational, you know. You'll, you'll have mothers and fathers that come through that are maybe in their 30s and 40s, and their late teen, early 20 child is coming in behind them because that's what they've seen growing up, so that's what's the normal activity to them.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Is there anything that you would like to see done or any thoughts that you have as a
0: solution i've thought about this for so many years my parents were foster parents the children that grew up in my house were my neighbor's kids they struggled with the parents struggled with narcotics and alcohol abuse and for years i've thought about this how to make it better and i have yet to figure it out Mm -hmm. because no matter what they're going to find what they want to use whether it's alcohol or drugs it's out there they're going to find it and it's, it's really, as we discussed, up to the person.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I, it, it is tough. I mean, if it was easy, we would have done it by now, right? But I really do think that is a big part of, that's a big issue, obviously, with law enforcement and how to move forward with that and come up with, with solutions. So I wish that both of us had better ideas, but certainly understand that. I do find it fascinating, though, what you said with how you discovered law enforcement analysis in that it was part of orientation. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting because I, I don't know how many police departments, sheriff's office do that, where they have the analyst come talk to is at orientation. You certainly see it sometimes with post-training for officers or maybe at the academy or in service for the officers. But I'm not sure how many in terms of the, the civilians or that the other positions, maybe office positions, that the, you actually get that introduction to law enforcement analysis.
0: Yeah, we are in a 3,000-person strong agency, so once you're hired, you go to new hire orientation at the time, mine was a little delayed. I had already been working here about six to eight months when I went through new hire, mm-hmm. which it happens. But each unit of our agency got a chance to come in and talk to the new hires and say, hey, we know you're starting your career, but just know you're not stuck where you are. There, There is opportunity for movement. And if you're interested in this, here's what we do.
1: Yeah. So when I was starting out, I, to me, I was interning, I Fell into analysis, there was jobs open and once I was done interning, and that's how I got my analysis career started. It wasn't something that I targeted coming out of college or anything like that. But from your perspective, that's something that you identified and then started working towards, and it was 18 months before that opportunity finally came around. And it's got to be exciting that those first couple of days, you know, going in as an analyst, considering that's something that you targeted, planned and wanted to do.
0: I was on absolute cloud nine when I got the call. Hey, this is going to be your official start date. I I think I screamed and jumped around my house for a good (laughs) solid five minutes. My poor mom thought I was having a heart attack, but it was so phenomenal. I went to school at University of South Florida, Go Bulls, mm-hmm. um, for criminology, and then I have a full bachelor's degree in criminology with a minor in psychology, and then I went back and I finished my full degree in psychology, focusing on primarily child psychology, and this opportunity came up for this position, and I applied right around the same time, St. Pete College, which is our local, it was a junior college, they now have four-year degrees, they had a certificate program for crime analysis, and it was attached to the arts and science kind of area, but nobody was taking any of the classes. So I asked to go through, and they said, just so you know, you're going to be the only person in any of the classes. Really? Okay. (laughs) Because nobody knew what it was. They didn't advertise it. There was also a gang management certificate at the time. Nobody knew what that was.
1: So it was like... I
0: ended up becoming the last person certified from St. Pete College in the certificate program.
1: Wow. So it was like the movie theater where they're going to show the movie no matter what, and you're just the only one in the movie theater.
0: Had the whole theater to myself.
1: (laughs) So what did the certification teach? What What were some of the classes? What do you think you got out of the certification?
0: So there's, through St. Petersburg College, they focused primarily on a lot of the strategic and tactical side of crime analysis. And the gentleman who taught the majority of my classes actually retired as a crime analyst supervisor from our agency.
1: So you just basically got one-on-one training the whole entire time?
0: Yes. Because I was doing the job, they did take some of that as like on-the-job training credits, mm-hmm. like an internship, but they focus primarily on strategic and tactical. So I learned how to do bulletins, how to build access databases to put information in and query it, bulletins, patterns, series, how to research.
1: You're starting as an analyst in 2007, and then you get this certification in, from St. Pete in, in 2009, but you also get a certification with FDLE as well.
0: I, I did. FDLE's program was a lot more intense. They actually still offer it. I was lucky class 13. I think they're up to 35 or 36 now.
1: Then how you said it was more intense. What made it more intense?
0: With the FDLE Analyst Academy went and attended training one week a month, For six months, and they covered a variety of aspects within the crime analyst field. So, one of the requirements to get your certification is you had to write an assessment on a topic and you had to present and defend your topic. The other things included weekly coursework and, you know, homework assignments of finishing things up. We learned all kinds of things, how to do forecasting, patterns, series, telephone toll analysis, how to create charts, what the major items on a chart are. So if you're doing a, a on a chart, circles are people, squares are businesses, solid lines are confirmed, dash lines are suspected. Every Everything for every agency Across the state, basically, you know, some agencies have one analyst, some have 15. So somewhere in between is where you're going to fall. So they really try to give you that rounded education. So if you're on your own, you know how to do it. If you're with 15 other people, you still know how to do it. All right.
1: It's been a while since you got that certification with FDLE. Looking back, what is maybe a topic or a class that you really got a lot out of. And I'm going to ask the opposite question as well. As you look back, was there a topic that you didn't get as much out of?
0: Wow. So mentally, we're having to go back about 12 years because I finished <laughs> that program in December of 2010. Mm-hmm. I've had children in my house since then. So <laughs> I have on brain sometimes. I think a lot of it, a lot of what I took from the course is more of the networking aspect of it. There was a lot of knowledge to be gained, and I still do refer back to some of my training materials from time to time, especially when it comes to like split time conversion and forecasting. But a lot of it at that point, I had been an analyst for several years, so it was good to make sure that I had those clear skills and knowledge that I wasn't misconstruing what I knew. Yeah, so It was very clear on what a pattern was versus a series versus a forecast. But we did there, each week had probably eight topics over the course of 6 weeks. There was a lot a lot covered.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Was was there a topic either you didn't get as much out of or maybe a topic that you wish that they had?
0: Not that I'm remembering.
1: That's a quite a commitment, right? You said one week a month for 6 months?
0: Yeah, and prior to that you have to take two one-week classes. So like we had, it was called at the time FBAT, Florida Basic Analyst Training, and then an advanced course. Now it's called FLIA, Florida Law Enforcement Analyst. I'm not sure on what that acronym is. They've changed the name, but there's still two prerequisite weeks that you must attend before the six weeks. So you're actually getting eight weeks of training from the state of Florida, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, I should say.
1: Yeah. Now is that required in your department? as an analyst to take
0: that? In our agency, no, it is not required, but it is strongly recommended and the supervisors make a huge push for it. So that way, everybody is on the same level when it comes to training within our agency. Yeah. It
1: leads me to a more general topic of credentialing analysts. One of the, the obstacles that we have, I believe, as law enforcement analysts is the fact that there isn't a standard credentialing process, right? We just talked about two here, but then IACA has their own. IALEA has their own. Some different states have their own, and some universities have their own. And they vary, right? And some of them, you know, you take a couple weeks of classes, and then you do a project, and, and then you're done, some of them like like what you talked about there, six weeks of training. I guess, where do you stand on what the profession should do with trying to credential analysts and get us all on a similar page?
0: When I started FDLEs, Analyst Academy was very difficult to get into. Now it's even harder, just based on the number of people wanting to attend. And they do this, I think, two to three times a year. So it's a limited number of attendees with a large pool of potential analyst attendees. When I started, Alpha Group Center was the certification. And to this day, I am one course shy of getting that certification. But the classes are just very hard to come by, and especially here in Florida, we went through several years of budget issues Mm -hmm. off and on, and the money hasn't always been there to go attend and pay per diem and hotel and gas to finish some of these certificate programs.
1: Yeah. Well, Steve Gottlieb would be like, hey, I can come over. I'll just bring a whole course to you, right? So, Yeah. Yeah. I'm,
0: (laughs) I'm missing one, and it's our agency now, it's still a great program. A lot of us senior analysts, and that's hard to say when I look at my age and I'm like, I'm a senior?
1: <laughs> it sneaks uh, up on you.
0: <laughs> it does. They, they don't nub it, but they would prefer to go with FDLE. As that's an ongoing training. It's here. It's provided by our state versus having to pay to attend the class, and it's a private organization that's holding the certificate.
1: With FDLE or Alpha Group?
0: Oh, with Alpha Group.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say, I, I assumed FDLE was was with the state and was not private, so that's, but so, but there's probably a lot of overlap between what Alpha Group is teaching and what FDLE is teaching, right?
0: Very much so. Uh, I know all the instructors that were setting up those courses all had Alpha Group certifications, mm-hmm. or at least the ones I personally knew the instructors on had those certifications, so they had that knowledge. And a lot of it overlaps. You know, intelligence analysis is intelligence analysis. You may cover different cases while teaching it, but the bare bones of it is the same.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And I just got to thinking that the way I did it through my career is I did not take a one-track training uh, program, right? I wasn't part of a certification process. I, I eventually did get certified with IACA, but it was basically taking training on my own because I'm I started in 2001 so that was right after 9-11 so there was training all over the place I've had thousands of hours of of analytical training but it's kind of hard to compare and contrast or to say which one's better is what you know is it better to have one track to where you're learning through a certification, that at the end of the road you have a certification, versus you get to pick and choose maybe what classes you're taking that may be more customizable for your particular job.
0: I can tell you from my own perspective, having to testify in court, having that piece of paper that says you are credentialed or you are certified carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm may not seem that much. It's just a piece of paper saying I went to a class, but you own that knowledge. You are the expert. They joke that to go to court, expect a jury with like a third to seventh grade education level. But that's not true. We know that. We, we have people that have master's degrees that are sitting on juries. But The moment that you're in that witness box, you're the expert. They're looking to you to explain your knowledge to them. And that piece of paper carries weight. I'm a civilian analyst. I don't have a badge or a gun. So that piece of paper is my badge. That is my expertise. It means something.
1: Yeah, and I can see where in Florida here, obviously when you're testifying, most of the time it's probably here in Florida, and yeah. that you're that's part of the state certification process, right? So that gives it even more weight, I would imagine, as opposed to if you did just have the IACA certification or ILEA certification or the Alpha Group certification. They can question it and you can go over it and you can supply documents as to why you're the subject matter expert. But I would think there's not too much of that questioning going on when when there's an analyst in Florida testifying and they have the FDLE certification.
0: It it made a huge difference. I know when the state attorney was asking about my education and, and my credentialing, there were a few eyebrows that went up in the jury box because you know when you're answering questions you turn and look to your audience and a few of them as i was describing going through the process of becoming a credentialed analyst they kind of were like wow so it it does it carries that weight very surprisingly you are the expert
1: yeah yeah yeah. i'm smiling because you said about looking at the jury and it (laughs) Totally off topic, but I saw that Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial that went on earlier this year that Amber Heard looked at the jury too much. (laughs) That's one thing that they said that she was trying to convince them and Johnny Depp didn't look at them at all, was just talking to his attorney. And so it's all those cat and mouse games that they play in court that, you know, now they're probably going to tell people, don't, you know, look at the jury, but not too much.
0: (laughs) I I did watch that trial just to see how that was going to go. And there were times it was very awkward watching almost the forced eye contact. But if you turn to the attorney when they're speaking to you and asking your questions, and then you turn back to the jury to explain the answer, it's Mm -hmm. not so awkward.
1: Yeah. Especially when you're explaining either a concept or something that's just not readily known. Obviously, you don't want to explain something that... Most people in the room will know what it is, but if it's something technical or something that only the law enforcement analysis community would understand, then you certainly do want to explain it, and you would want to put on your teaching hat at that point in time when you're on the stand.
0: Yes. One of the things I've been called for to testify is about cell phone records. Mm -hmm. So explaining how a device interacts with the network and that is connected to a tower, to a sector, to the base transceiver, it it can be very difficult to explain, especially to somebody that doesn't know all the terminology. So really turning and making that eye contact to see, am I losing them? Are they with me? Do I need to find a different way to explain this? It makes a difference.
1: How many times have you testified?
0: I have been called four times. I have testified once, and I'm pretty sure I have another subpoena coming to me here shortly.
1: Okay. So would you testify the one time did you get many questions from the defense?
0: None. Yeah. I count that as a huge win. I had no questions at all.
1: That's what I get from a lot of folks and I think a lot of times it's summarizing data in a way. And so and I think that's really why there's not much questions because you're not making outlandish accusations. You're essentially saying this is what the data says.
0: Yes, that's exactly what it was. Here's mm-hmm. where uh, this gentleman's points, based on his phone, were located. These are the times he was at those at those specific locations. This is the time he left the area. Mm-hmm. All right. And they really can't argue too much about it. My name is Christine Talley, and I'm with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. I am a firm believer that you can figure out whether or not someone is a decent human being at their core if they're the person that puts their shopping cart back in the corral. So please, put your shopping cart back in the corral when you're done. Show everybody that you care about them, you care about their property, and just be a good human.
1: Hi, this is Mitri Lewis, and I want to say, make friends with your other analysts. Don't just stay in your own little world, in your own little bubble, but hey, meet the other analysts who work in your jurisdiction, who work in your county, who work in the jurisdictions around you. Have lunch. Go play cards together. Do something together to get to know each other. It will benefit you in the long run. Let's get back to the job then. So you're walking in for the first time. You're really excited. And so what kind of tasks do you get into? Are you assigned to one particular department over the years? Or how how does it work there at, at the sheriff's office?
0: When I started as an analyst, I was assigned to the statistical tracking and analysis unit. We were attached stat and the mapping component were attached to strategic planning. We also still had a crime analyst unit, and people could kind of move between the two units. My job in the stat unit was doing our contract agency statistics and assisting on UCR, our annual and semi-annual UCR reports. There was a lot of statistical analysis. did that for about two years, and then an opening came up in the crime analyst section, basically in that position, I was over our squad three, our patrol squad three, and assisted burglary. One day, the captain walked in and said, hey, you and I are going to a meeting. I said, okay, <laughs> grabbed my notebook, and out the door, we left, and she drove me over to Intel, which was off-site at the time. We walked into another analyst's office who I had met but never worked with because she was off-site, and... I was told she's going on vacation you're going to be her backup learn everything you can and the captain walked away
1: <laughs> I left you th- left you there <laughs> <laughs> So
0: that was my introduction into being an intel analyst for our agency
1: How was that transition because from that point in time you're dealing with stats you're dealing with crime analysis and now you're plopped into a backup role in intelligence
0: It was actually pretty smooth I have to Give a huge shout-out to the people that were in the positions that helped me at the time. Our intel guys were really good about, you know, hey, I need a bulletin done or I need the gang map updated. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and they would, they were very, very much on my team of, all right, well, this is what, you know, we had her send out previously. Can you just, like, remake this? Absolutely. This is our gang map. We need these layers updated. Okay, I'll figure that out now. Mm-hmm. From there, there was two analysts out in our narcotics unit and one had been there forever and everybody was intimidated by her because she was she owned her position and she wasn't gonna give up her position without a huge fight. And the second person, we ended up doing a one for one swap. She came over and I took her position in narcotics. And the woman that had been there forever, her name is Jeanette Johnson. She became my work mom, my mentor <laughs> and such a good friend of mine. And she looked at me and she goes, you're going to end up being me. And I am happy in the world of narcotics. I did eight and a half years there. I went to economic crimes for about a year and a half and I just transitioned back to narcotics.
1: Why was the swap? Was that something that you were seeking or is that just an opportunity that came along?
0: It was an opportunity. The girl that was in narcotics wanted to leave. I was getting mentally fatigued and bored of, doing crime analysis and stat-related requests, I consider ADHD my superpower. I can multitask very easily, and that's kind of a a one-function-at-a-time position because you're focusing on, okay, this report, does this relate to anything else?
1: Yeah. And And
0: when in narcotics, you're doing 800 things at one time, and my brain is just very happy doing that.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Now, do you think you became the analyst mom?
0: I don't think I'm there yet. I know that there are the young little chickadee analysts that are still early in their career, you know, zero to five years experience. And I do try to impart my knowledge, but I've been an embedded analyst in our agency for the almost 11 years now. Mm -hmm. And most of the younger analysts all work in a squad bay together. So I'll go down, say good morning, impart some knowledge and take my leave.
1: All right. Good deal. Well, since we're talking about narcotics, let's talk about some analyst badge stories. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project that an analyst works on. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is the 2016 fentanyl case that you worked on.
0: Yes, this was titled Operation Top Dog Hot Dog. (laughs)
1: Love the case names
0: it was a major case when it started at the time it made national news that we had quote zombies here in the Clearwater area and what was happening is people were falling out having taken pressed Xanax pills that were actually made with fentanyl so people were were dropping they were dying it was not good it was it was very very bad we ended up identifying who was selling these pills? That person quickly got on board and was like, it wasn't me. I worked to identify assets, suspects, links between everything, vehicles, locations, basically doing weeks-long workups on all of the suspects. We identified the major source of supply. With the help of DEA, we served four search warrants, simultaneously across our county. We had six arrests. Five arrests went federally. One was a local state arrest. We seized five and a half kilos of fentanyl, $309,000 in luxury cars, including Bentleys and Audis. We seized $1.5 million in cash and 10 guns. So the case wrapped up in 2018, and my organizational chart still hangs on the AUSA's wall above her college degree. So, oh,
1: man, so were you able to get it on one plotter paper?
0: One plotter paper. It was about <laughs> 42 inches wide and I think 36 inches long.
1: <laughs> you mentioned that people were dying and that they didn't know what that there was fentanyl in there. Was there any thought to charging these folks with Maybe a more serious, like manslaughter type charges, as a to go along with just the drug charges.
0: At the time, fentanyl was not a controlled substance, mm-hmm. so that kind of made charging a little more difficult during the time of the case. While we were seizing evidence and making C deals and all that is when the laws started to change and it went under the analog statute. Okay. But in in dealing with overdose cases, which has kind of become my specialty, you have to make sure that the toxicology of the decedent matches chemistry of the drugs that you have seized. So if in the decedent's body is fentanyl and cocaine, seized sees on scene a bag of fentanyl cocaine, you serve a search warrant on somebody's house and it's fentanyl and methamphetamine, you can't prove that that suspect sold the mix that killed that person.
1: Oh, that makes it tough. Okay. Hmm. All right. And then, so with this case, analytically speaking, what was the most difficult?
0: Trying to find all of the assets. The main suspect bought and traded cars frequently at a small dealership, but he never really titled them in his name. Or if he did, it was brief and then transferred the title to somebody else. He rented homes. So there was nothing in the property appraiser database to really show where he was living. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we were able to... Do surveillance on him and find what banks he went to. But banks aren't going to be very forthcoming with their customer records. Yeah. So it was a lot of digging and reading reports and going through social me- public social media accounts and looking at documents and different versions of documents. So going back and looking at the car title, who was it titled before that? Who was titled before that? <laughs> and just a lot of a lot of digging.
1: I'm surprised he had anything in, it in his name.
0: I was too, but he had his two favorite cars were his Bentley and his Maserati. The Bentley was gold chrome wrapped and the Maserati was, one was gold wrapped, one was silver chrome wrapped. And one of his the people pressing the pills for him lived in the center of our county and it's not a very rich area. It's very middle class. So you have a gentleman driving a... Very expensive sports car that's very identifiable. So he was easy to follow when he was in the city. But he just, he liked to be flashy about it.
1: Yeah, I, don't, I look get you every time. These pills being laced with fentanyl, that was something new. Where is the origins of doing that? Do you know?
0: I'm not sure on the origins. Do you know that they went through about four electronic pill presses? They bought the pill stamps. Online from China and had them shipped in, and then they ended up with a manual press. So rather than having a machine where you pour your mix in and it presses it for you, now you're having to put it on a plate, crank down a, a lever, mm-hmm. wait a few seconds, lift that lever up, empty the tray, and repeat.
1: Yeah, mm. manual version was was uh, more I'm consistent, concerned. more consistent, and less. Probably once the electronic ones broke, they probably couldn't figure out how to fix them. I,
0: I, I think we still have them sitting in our property and evidence room, quite honestly.
1: So then you just recently got another one, another case here that just finished up in 2001, what you call Felony Lane Gang.
0: Yeah, actually, it it just wrapped up this month. And we had a group out of Hollywood, Florida, which is in southeast Florida, that was coming up to the Tampa Bay region. And they would go to dog parks or fitness facilities. Sometimes they hit daycares. And they would smash out windows and steal purses and backpacks. They would then take those bags to another location. They would mix up the IDs and the bank information. So basically, consider they broke into our two cars. Mm-hmm. They stole my wallet with my debit card and my license. And they stole your checkbook and license out of your car. Mm-hmm. They would make your check out to me and then take the female accomplice and go to the bank and have her cash the check made out to me from your account. Then they would take all that cash and divide it up among the people. Obviously, the organizers got the biggest cut. That's typical felony lane activity. So we recently had a group here that was doing that, and we were able to associate them to almost 200 cases between burglaries and frauds in our area, including some cases out of state. Hmm. That was a lot of tapping.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to that that I'm just thinking of when you describe that story. I, I guess I'm surprised how many people, number one, are leaving valuables in a car, and number two, that they're carrying around their checkbook at this day and age?
0: That's the thing that baffles all of us. Who uses checks anymore? I mean, I go grocery shopping with my mom occasionally, and she'll break out a check, and I'm like, that's what you have a debit card for. But, yeah, sometimes it's business accounts, and, you know, businesses, it's hard, it's, it's the same steps to replace your business checking account as it is a personal checking account. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have checks out there waiting to clear from other businesses. Oh, yeah. Like a payment on an invoice or something. So businesses are very reluctant to change their banking information. So these bad guys will hold on to those business checks for months. I actually just heard of one. It was almost, it's was it been almost a year, and his account just got hit from a business check that was stolen during a burglary.
1: It's actually a pretty smart process when you think about it because a lot of states, I'm trying to, I can't remember... I don't have my driver's license here in front of me, but they have they have the person's signature right there on the driver's license. Yeah. So as they're stealing, they're stealing these wallets and whatnot, these checkbooks. They're not, not only are they getting the ID, but they're getting the, the signature that they could probably it wouldn't be too hard to come pr- pretty close enough to the point where a bank teller's not going to question it at all.
0: Yeah. What I've found is if if they have credit cards or debit cards that have been stolen, they will immediately use those, hoping that the victim hasn't realized that they're missing. Mm -hmm. And they'll go to Dollar General or Walgreens or Walmart, and they will purchase those preloaded gift cards. Oh, okay. Vanilla or Green Dot, sometimes store-specific or item-specific like Nike Mm -hmm. or Apple, so that way the money is secured on that card before the victim's credit card is cut off.
1: Yeah, I would just go buy stuff because that even then, once they figure that out, they can start tracking those gift cards, right?
0: They're harder to use, harder to track because think about it. If you've got a vanilla gift card, you can easily go to any store mm-hmm. at any point and swipe it because that gift card number isn't always associated on the receipt. And sometimes by the time the victim realizes their card is gone and then has been used, you may not, it may take weeks to get that receipt from the store where the fraud occurred.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I would think it would be at least a little bit more difficult to use the card Because either you're putting in your PIN or they're asking for ID. At least they should be. They should be. You know, so that would be. A little bit more difficult, as opposed to like you, you know, you we, we're calling these folks the the felony lane gang, which I, <laughs> I find funny. I didn't know what that was. The far the far lane in the the drive through for the bank, so that I at least can understand if they're getting a check or whatever. That far lane is trying, the bank teller is going to have a more difficult time realizing that that's a fraudulent transaction that's taking place.
0: Yeah, I mean the think of it for yourself. When you go through a, a bank drive through you're probably going to have your sunglasses on because it's daylight. You mm-hmm. may have a hat on. They're doing the same things, So the teller can't necessarily see your face. And I know when I signed up for my checking accounts, nobody took a picture of me in the bank.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's move on then. Let's talk a little bit about GeoTime. And I know that's a, a program that you use and also teach and So it's obviously something that you recommend. So what do you like about Geotime?
0: I find their products are very easy. They have worked very hard to make their products more intuitive as time has gone on. Kind of a a funny backstory. I learned how to use Geotime coming off of maternity leave. (laughs) <laughs> and for anybody out there that has had newborn children in the home, you know you are not sleeping. You get home, you're exhausted, baby still needs to be loved on and fed and changed, and you're doing that till midnight, and then you're getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning when they're hungry again. So I'm not sure how I was making it through the days at work when I came back from maternity leave. There very much hazy and blurry but I remember getting called into a meeting and a training for how to use this new program that we were acquiring which was geotime desktop and partway through the training I my coworker kicked me in the shin and he's like wake up and I'm like dude the mountain dew is not kicking in I'm like <laughs> can we take a break and that was eight years ago and today they have told me I'm one of their more proficient users. I teach for them. I train on two of their products, which is still GeoTime Desktop and GeoTime Enterprise. Desktop is their software-based program for mapping and annotating calls, uh, and you can do that in a 3D modeling over time. And Enterprise is their cloud-based program. That is a newer program, very easy to use, kind of provides all the answers to you at a click. And I've found I've tried other software. I've tried ZX. I've tried CellHawk. And there's still times where I revert back to Google Earth. But GeoTime really just does all of that for me. And I honestly can't say enough good about their program. Right. But and I do know that there are other programs out there as well.
1: Yeah. Is there anything that you that you wish it would do or that you would recommend to them that they add?
0: as far as enterprise goes a lot of the stuff that i wish it did have i've reached out to their support and said hey what about this and usually within a couple builds it's there i, I really at this point don't know
1: yeah i th- i think when i met up with don clausius at Love. at the iaca conference and the the one thing that i recommended to her was Having a lot of programs now have that search bar at the top of the program and Windows, all the Microsoft products, I think have this now. I don't know exactly what to click on to find a particular tool or function or module, but I might know the name or know how to describe it. So they'll have a search bar up there at the top so you can just search whatever you're trying to do. And a good... and I, I I hope that most software start to do that because when I got the demo, I was like, wow, that's a lot of clicks to get to that particular screen. Now, I mean, there's a lot to it, right? It's a pretty complicated software. So I don't expect you can get everywhere in like three clicks. But it was definitely something that that was my recommendation is to have that search bar. I don't know what you call that. <laughs>
0: but. Yeah, that's definitely a, a programmer aspect of here You figure out what that's called. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they've been – they're they're very good with being responsive to suggestions. On Enterprise, it, one of their texts was like, oh, what if we add a ruler function so you can measure the distance and have a line on your screen between the points? And that was great. That was very helpful. But as soon as you clicked off the screen, your ruler disappeared. Mm. So I called in. I was like, can we make that stay? <laughs> like, You know, there's sometimes where I need to, like, go back a screen and come back, and I still need my ruler, but I don't want to have to recreate it. Yeah. So they've been – very good about listening to that and one of the things that their programmers have told me is you know we're programmers we don't use the product so if there's a way to make it better let's work together and make that happen
1: yeah yeah i'm sure they have some funny stories confessions of a software programmer (laughs) like you want what
0: Yeah, I mean, they are absolutely phenomenal. We had a homicide in the north end of our jurisdiction, and they called in one of their experts on a Saturday, and he called my office phone on a Saturday afternoon from a family function to walk me through how to make these records work that we were getting in a hurry to try to identify the homicide suspect.
1: Yeah, Hmm. because you you use a lot of it for mapping phone tolls, right?
0: Yes, basically anything with a latitude-longitude and date-time stamp, Mm -hmm. you can map in their software. So I've mapped, obviously, telephone tolls. I've mapped Celebrite extraction, tower dumps, or base transceiver analysis. I've also mapped EPERP data. And for those that aren't water people, that is the personal beacon, emergency beacon, that the Coast Guard can track if you are in the water. Mm -hmm. So once water hits that beacon, it turns on, it starts transmitting, and the Coast Guard can narrow down their search for you. So I've mapped that data as well. Hmm.
1: So this is more of a, probably a general question, not necessarily something for geotime, but you're mapping telephone tolls. You're getting a ton of data. And in terms of your process of just going through and identifying what is is relevant, what's not, trying to separate the, the good from the noise kind of thing. Is, is there certain things that you, you would recommend and s- some pitfalls maybe to avoid when you're, when you're dealing with mapping phone tolls?
0: Well, that is the crux of the job of what is important and what isn't. One of the major things that I have found is a lot of people want to look at your tops, top 10 locations, top 10 contacts, top times for being on the phone. Mm -hmm. which is great. That's how to build a pattern of life and figure out the activity of the phone and therefore the activity of the user. But sometimes those onesie twosies are just as important. So think about a mid-level drug trafficker. You're going to have a lot of inbound calls from the people below you that you're supplying, but you're not going to have very many incoming or outgoing calls to the person above you because you're going to be getting a larger amount so in a month's time you may only contact your source one or two times where the people under you are your frequent callers because you're giving them smaller amounts
1: yeah Hmm. yeah and that's that makes it more difficult right if it was just like the top 10 it would be a lot a lot easier but finding that needle in the haystack that one call That uh, makes or breaks the case, and then you have to go through all the noise to try to find that diamond in the rough, so to speak.
0: Uh, And if you're trying to run a phone number, oh wow, I have so many databases, and I usually check them all to see okay, is this the same person across at least three of them? Am I getting different? numbers? Has it recently been ported to another carrier? Is it a voice over internet phone? Because then that leads it a totally different direction. But when I'm running a phone number, I'm checking our, our RMS. I'm checking links. I'm checking Felhox, Analyst Support Toolbox. I'm checking GeoTime now has a phone checker, number checker, TLO, Accurant. Sometimes I'll run it through ZX as well. So you're right there is seven databases to check for one phone number?
1: Yeah, it's ex- it can be exhausting. You don't know where to start and when to stop.
0: And that just comes kind of with experience. Like like I said, if three of them are matching, I kind of move on to the next phone number.
1: Mm-hmm. So so in terms of the bigger cases though, you can get hundreds of thousands of records. Is that something that you have access to a server database that you keep that, that type of information on?
0: When we get cell phone records back, what our agency has started to do is we put them into Geotime Enterprise to map them if they have cell site information. If they do not, or even if they do, we put them into our RMS. So basically... If it has cell sites, it goes into GeoTime and then our RMS. If it is only cell phone records, it goes into our RMS.
1: Oh, okay. That's interesting. I would not have thought to store cell phone records in an RMS.
0: We have, on our RMS, there are tools built in. So we can do multi-target analysis Mm -hmm. across our entire database. And we've been building this database since, I believe, the mid-90s. It did go from a database to a web Based version uh, in the 2000s, but all of that back data is there, so we can look at it and see over time. Okay, this phone number has been Pizza Hut this whole time. <laughs> that data is still there, so if we run that phone number, it comes up and says, Hey, this is Pizza Hut. Yeah. But we can look and identify potential targets from that multi-target analysis tool. All
1: right. Hmm. What RMs do you have?
0: We currently have Aces.
1: Aces, you like it?
0: It's been very good to me. <laughs>
1: It's always it's always funny. It's yeah, the Alice and the RMS systems. It's 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 always a fascinating conversation to to have and talk to different people and different experiences. But it certainly have gotten better over the years. I'll I'll say that. It, you, there's some there's some real bad stories, horror stories that you can hear. Someone going back like 20 years ago about the, you know, getting a brand new. RMS system and the analysts weren't even conferred with <laughs> and then they were told to use it type of thing.
0: In our agency, we have access to the other city. A lot of the cities are now sharing our RMS and they have their own little section of the pie, but everybody can see everything within it. And then you still have freestanding agencies. So we have access to their RMSs and some of them, I'm like, there's no way, no way on a daily basis would I ever use. I would leave the agency if this is what I had.
1: (laughs) So I won't ask you what those are but I am curious. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's finish up with some fun here. So you're the Florida girl born and raised in Florida. One of the things that has become pretty popular over the years is what they've called Florida man stories and expanded to Florida man and Florida woman stories because of the way Florida's sunshine laws are. The media can get access or really anybody can get access to arrest information and crime information pretty quickly. And so you can get a lot of details about what just transpired in a crime. So you'll have something where the headline will read Florida man or Florida woman does something a little bit odd or funny or outrageous. And the one I just heard on the radio a month ago is that uh, Tupac Shakur beats man with baseball bat outside of hospital and like that's odd oh. obviously Tupac is a rapper from the I think the 90s going back maybe even the 80s and uh, he he died and here it's the same spelling and everything and it's a woman and not only yeah. that The day that this happened was the 26th anniversary of Tupac getting fatally shot in Las Vegas. Wow. Yes. You almost want to know if it was planned, especially since it was the exact date. And then you also want to know, like, what on earth... Drove that woman to be so mad at that guy, and it's an elderly man too. it says, so it's you know one of my people outside of a hospital to beat him with a baseball bat, but that's the headline from last month and so I know you have a couple, so what are some of your favorites
0: so one of my favorites is from our own agency uh, a couple of years ago, Clearwater Beach is a huge destination population for spring breakers and families. A little further south is our smaller beach communities like Madeira Beach, Treasure Island, Indian Shores, on down to St. Pete Beach. Beautiful. Feel free to come vacation, but just don't get arrested and leave on probation. But some spring breakers started having a yelling match. Our deputies were dispatched for a disorderly conduct call. And one sergeant found where the issue was because it had moved down the beach, so it wasn't at the dispatch location anymore. And he ended up having to take down two suspects at the same time that were fighting back with him. And another spring breaker videotaped the whole thing, and we ended up on every news channel. And (laughs) we suddenly had RoboCop as one of our employees. So as a civilian, I was laughing watching it, because the suspect was trying to tap out while our sergeant was holding him down. And just in case anybody is curious, there are no tap outs in arrests. <laughs> uh, you're, you're going. You're At that point, you're going. Funny. And then another one was a, a year or two ago, i say maybe just about a year ago, there were two girls that were arrested. One scaled drain spout to a second floor balcony where her boyfriend, possibly ex-boyfriend, was living and broke in from his balcony into his apartment, opened the front door for the second female, and they attacked him with glitter. <laughs> so they were arrested for burglary and battery for assault by glitter.
1: <laughs> the only way why that seems like it would be really bad is if for some reason he was allergic to glitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Glitter is the worst arts and crafts supply ever. It does not leave. So I'm pretty sure there's probably still glitter in this man's apartment.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, it's funny what they would come up with. At that point, if you're going to go to the to the trouble of breaking into the house, like you've already committed a pretty serious crime by that point. So if you're going to then like do something, it seems like glitter is one of the last things I would think of by that point.
0: Right. One of the funniest ones I read, and it's not from our jurisdiction. I believe it's from North of Here. It was the title of the headline read: "Florida Woman Arrested for Stabbing Boyfriend with Stuffed Squirrel."
1: <laughs> they just, we, there just happened to be a stick inside the stuffed squirrel.
0: Apparently, it was a taxidermied squirrel. I'm not sure where she got a taxidermied squirrel from, but oh, we, we are definitely a special breed down here.
1: Yeah. So, but, and then when you teach, you, you kind of use this topic to your advantage as well, right? This Florida man, Florida woman story bit, right?
0: Yeah, I I do. During my segues between sessions, because, you know, when you're learning stuff, you got to take a break to be able to process it all. So we, we take frequent breaks. And one of the things I like doing is coming back from break and being like, all right, we're going to go to Google and you're going to type in Florida man or Florida woman and the month and day of your birth. So spell it out, March 1st, what, whatever you want to put in there and just to see what headlines come up. And a lot of people like it. It's a good laugh. It's a good <laughs> icebreaker. It's just a good moment of levity and class.
1: Yeah. And I'm, and I'm disappointed too because mine's January 30th and I did that and nothing good came up. So I am going to challenge Florida the, on on January 30th of 2023 to come up with something good. So and future generations can enjoy the day of January 30th.
0: I am March 5th, so there's, let's see, I just ran it through Google, and says, Florida woman pulls gun at Walmart because clerk will not honor her $1 coupon.
1: <laughs> I don't know. If you take the time to clip out the coupon, you you want the coupon.
0: <laughs> worth that dollar to me.
1: <laughs> Maybe not worth pulling gun on, but I might have thought about it. <laughs> So anyway if uh, if you do this and uh, put in your day and month and uh, find a good florida story attach the link below the the episode here and share your florida story in the comments below so all right very good and that the last segment of the show is words to the world and this is where i give the guest the last word and you can promote any idea that you wish what are your words to the world
0: I think as a society and more of as a profession, we've become very jaded very quickly in this field. We don't realize how snarky and negative we can get not only to others, but to ourselves. So every day at the end of the day, just find three good things that happened, even if it's simply, I woke up this morning. We see so much hatred and negativity, so many bad things every single day at work and in the news. Just take the time to see the good. I was in an accident recently, and at the end of the day, I was still able to say, it was a good day. Yeah, it was an accident, but we all walked away unhurt. Cars can be replaced. People can't. So just, it it sounds cliche, but try to remember that there is still good, even when all we're saying is the negative.
1: Very good. You know, I usually end the show with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later, but after that, (laughs) words to the world, I feel horrible saying that. But great words. Thank you for your time, Annette, and you be safe.
0: Thank you. You too. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason
1: Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, Analysts. Keep talking.